Hello and welcome to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. This episode features a conversation with David Ensor, former director of Voice of America, who spent the fall 2015 semester as a Joan Shorenstein Fellow. In this podcast, David introduces the themes of his new research paper, Exporting the First Amendment, Strengthening U.S. Soft Power Through Journalism, which can be read in full by visiting shorensteincenter.org and clicking on Research. We begin with David introducing the paper's themes and comparing Voice of America to other international state-sponsored media organizations. Well, after um, five and a half years in the U.S. government, first as a as the head of public diplomacy in Kabul, Afghanistan, and then as the director of the Voice of America, I wanted to stand back, take a look at at that work, and try to figure out where I thought it ought to go from here. For example, and I mostly focused in the paper on Voice of America and its sister agencies, Radio for Europe and the others. Uh, you know, what is the proper role? A voice of America in a world where Vladimir Putin weaponizes information, as one person said, and where terrorists recruit globally on the internet. Um, you know, our state broadcasters, and this is what I wanted to look at while at Harvard, our state broadcasters, which advocate for their governments and um, you know pitch a point of view, uh, are they delivering larger audiences and greater impact in today's digital media environment than? those which work to report the news as objectively as possible, which is the VOA model. And VOA was modeled originally basically on the BBC model, the BBC World Service. So in the paper, I take a look at these different models. VOA, BBC World Service on one side, RT, formerly known as Russia Today, and CCTV, the Chinese new network, on the other side, and a little bit of a look at Al Jazeera Arabic as well. And um, my research assistant and I went and got as much data as we could, and some of it's not very easy to get, about audiences uh, and reach in some of these different markets. And it was quite striking. Um, If you look at, uh, say, Kenya, where CCTV has made a big push, they've got a big bureau in Nairobi, they've spent a lot of money, they've hired away some top journalists from... uh, Kenyan um, television stations, and yet uh, in 2013, they had 2% of the audience as compared with much larger numbers for uh, BBC World Service and and CNN. So this model of, of, um, of kind of spinning the public wasn't working all that well in, in Kenya. And uh, the journalists, some of the journalists after they left CCTV said that they were forced to self-censor that they couldn't mention the names of countries that had diplomatic relations with Taiwan, that they couldn't mention the demand for ivory from China that's causing much of the poaching in the area, and so forth. So it's not honest journalism that's being done there. Um, The VOA model is to be honest, warts and all, um, even about our own country and its faults. So VOA will, will, will cover the Abu Ghraib scandal and covered uh, the revelations of Edward Snowden about NSA surveillance globally. And it covered the recent protests in Ferguson, Missouri about um, police um, alleged brutality against African-American young men. Um, You know, and that 
the, the message I think, and I very much felt this as VOA director, is, is almost better than propaganda. I mean, as, as uh, uh, Joe Nye of, of, of the Harvard Kennedy School says, the best propaganda is not propaganda, it's truth. Um, and I, I just think it's, when we cover a story like those I just mentioned really well, um, it's like a civics lesson. It says to the, to the viewer, this is how a free country deals with its problems and its issues. It talks about them publicly. And yes, tears its hair out and argues and all the rest of it. But in the end, you end up with a system that usually comes up with a better outcome in the end. So I think that's a very powerful model. It, it, and as a result of, of the work I've done here at, at Harvard, I'm even more convinced of it because the numbers don't lie. I mentioned the example in Kenya, but I've got other examples from around the world. Uh, RT, the Russia Today channel, is on many cable systems in the United States, for example. But they're not even on the Nielsen ratings, which means they don't have 30,000 households in the whole country of 300 and whatever million people it is. Um, their numbers in, in the UK uh, dropped like a stone. They were already low, but they dropped like a stone after the invasion of Crimea when RT's coverage became particularly tendentious and propagandistic. So even the sort of the small group of far-left Brits who were, who were watching RT, most of them gave up, or many of them gave up, as the coverage became even more biased than usual. So I just think uh, my, my time here has reinforced in my mind that we should, we should do this more, we should do it better, we should fund it better, and we should stick with the old-fashioned uh, goals of journalism, the goals of objectivity, balance, and so forth. They're good goals. They're only goals. You never get there, but they're the right thing to be shooting for. Um, but then we need to be as agnostic as possible about what platforms upon which to reach people. I mean, the human communications revolution is constantly coming up with new ways to reach people, and we should seize those whenever they come along. Facebook, Twitter, you name it. David outlined some of the more challenging aspects of his research. I, was, I thought it was going to be easier to get audience data. And frankly, I really had, we had to scavenge, and I had to use my the friendships and the, and the sort of connections I have and go back through my old files from the time I was director and so forth to find a lot of the data. Um, there wasn't as much public data as I thought. RT and CCTV, for example, don't want people to know how small their audiences are, it would seem. I didn't realize it was quite that um, dramatic. Um, and I was also struck by how wide the gap is between the audiences. It's, a, it's, you know, it's like a 10 to 1 or better that the model of the goal of objectivity pulls an audience better than the, than the model of advocacy journalism or spinning or propaganda, whatever you want to call it. So I was surprised by how stark, actually, the data that we were able to get was. When asked about the best strategy for the spread of soft power, David explained how it varies significantly depending on the region being discussed. When I used to be director of VOA and people would say, so what's your general strategy? I would say, I've got 45 of them, which one do you want to talk about? It depends what market you're talking about. Um, in very poor areas, well, in denied areas, places where the government actually wants its people to be ignorant and easily manipulated, um, uh, like, let's name them, China, uh, Iran, um, the best techniques for reaching people are things like um, uh, satellite television, shortwave radio, that go right over the government even if they don't want it to that are hard to block. Uh, the internet is obviously a wonderful way to reach people. 
governments try to block it and censor it. So the, the, the BBG, the Broadcasting Board of Governors that oversees the, the uh, VOA, uh, quite rightly spends a certain amount of money on internet circumvention techniques to allow people in those countries to get around uh, the, cent the Great Firewall of China, for example. Um, so that's in a denied area. Then in a, in a mature market, like maybe much of Latin America, for example, or Indonesia, where there's lots of media, and they don't need us to do the news for them, and there's good news broadcasts on, we go to sometimes commercial, sometimes non-commercial broadcasters and say, you've got a nice broadcast here, you've got a good-sized market, a good-sized audience, but you don't seem to cover the United States very much. We'd like to help you with that. We could put, uh, we could put a Spanish-speaking or an Indonesian-speaking journalist at your disposal in Washington to cover it for you, and we'd become your partner. And uh, we'd be on your air every day, maybe just for a few minutes. But we'd be helping Indonesians or Venezuelans to better understand the United States and the news about the United States and to get it from a fair-minded journalist uh, rather than what sometimes does happen is sort of with a big anti-American tilt. Entertainment and popular culture also have a role to play in the U.S. soft power approach, together with journalism of the type produced by Voice of America. I think Hollywood movies and, and sort of American pop culture, music, and all the other things are enormously powerful. They're a big piece of soft power. I mean, every country has a certain amount of soft power, and it's the things that makes your culture and your, and your ideas attractive to foreigners, right? And makes them more inclined to either imitate you or agree with you or whatever. The U.S. government needs to be thinking about what kinds of soft power things it ought to be doing. Back during the Cold War, they they sent jazz bands to Moscow, you know, and Leningrad. Um, they sent, you know, theater groups and so forth to travel around the world. I don't know, maybe some of that should be, should be thought about again. I, I don't think it was a bad idea. But the whole issue of soft power, I mean, this is, journalism is this one piece of soft power. The, the, the key thing that you have to know, though, about doing journalism is it has to be really honest journalism. The moment it starts to be controlled at all by policymakers, you're, de you're dead. Audiences can tell and you lose your credibility almost immediately. Then you start to lose audience and pretty soon why are you bothering to do this? The BBC is the most successful uh, use of journalism as soft power ever done by human beings anywhere. And uh, we were wise to emulate it and we should continue to do so. David also called for more public diplomacy grants to counter online terrorist propaganda. Everybody's talking about ISIS right now, and how do we counter-message, how do we answer? And, you know, you, you can't just do journalism. I mean, these are thugs. They don't listen to journalism. You know, you're not going to convince any of them but with a nice, well-considered, balanced story in a news article. Clearly not. So. There's a, a job inside the State Department that's done with a, with a rather modest budget right now of $5.8 million to counter message against ISIS recruiting on the Internet and other hateful propaganda. I think 5.8 ought to be 508. And, you know, that this is serious work and should be properly funded and taken seriously. Finally, David expressed his hope that his work at the Shorenstein Center may lead to renewed discussion within government about the importance of soft power and the work of Voice of America. I'm struck by how little people seem to know in the United States about the existence of a Voice of America and its sister networks. I think that, you know, after the Cold War ended, people kind of just forgot about it. it. It had obviously played a role in history in helping to peaceably bring down the Soviet Union. And then people kind of thought that was the end of it. In fact, our, the audience is now bigger. It's, it's uh, 
in my while I was director, it went up 40 percent. It's now almost 188 million people a week. And uh, the, the digital revolution has allowed all sorts of new ways to reach people. A satellite television is allowing huge audiences now. Almost a quarter of, of Iran watches at least one VOA show per week. Does anyone in this country know that? Do you realize how important that is in the political context today? I want more Americans to realize this, understand how valuable it is. Hopefully, some of them might tell their representatives, this work's important, why don't you fund it a bit better? Because frankly, the VOA budget was cut, in real terms at least, every year I was director. So I guess I'm, I'm you know, like a typical federal bureaucrat. I want uh, more resources for the work I used to do. I really strongly believe in it. And I think, I think one of the most powerful ideas that this country is based on is the concept of freedom of speech. And that's why I titled my paper, Exporting the First Amendment, because that's what VOA and its sister networks do. It's enormously powerful. People may not like American foreign policy, and they may still like American ideals. So the fact that VOA is not a voice of the U.S. government, but is a voice of America, an independent voice, a journalistically independent voice, is enormously powerful and influential. And it makes friends for our ideas, even in countries where they may not agree with our current foreign policies. You can read David Ensor's full paper, Exporting the First Amendment, Strengthening U.S. Soft Power Through Journalism, by visiting shorensteincenter.org and clicking on Research. Thank you for listening to the Shorenstein Center Media and Politics Podcast. Music provided by extrememusic.com.